0: me in God's Word this morning to Luke's Gospel chapter 18. Luke's Gospel chapter 18. Just let you find that for a moment. 18th chapter of Luke's Gospel. And we'll give you the reading just uh, again in a moment or two, but just hold your place there. Several years ago, in fact it's many years ago now actually, I visited Sharon Dick in hospital. Sharon and Jason's in letter today. And uh, the occasion, of course, was the birth of, their, uh, of Sharon's little baby daughter, Alicia. I don't know what age Alicia is now. She must be 18 or something, or 19, something like that. And uh, it was a wonderful moment, of course, uh, in the life of Sharon. And uh, she obviously was filled with joy and laughter. And I shared with her in her joy uh, and her laughter and there was lots of smiles and lots of cuddles for the little baby. But while I was doing that, I I couldn't help thinking that just several months before that, I also shared a moment in her grief. And on that occasion, it was a cold graveyard. And she was in tears because she was burying her dear uh, mother. And it was quite different. But now, thankfully, that sad occasion had given way to lots of smiles and laughter as that little darling lay in her arms. And as such are the compensations of life. Death gives way to birth. Loss gives way to gain. Winter gives way to spring. Weeping, the Bible says, may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And compensations in life can come in many forms. Uh, For some, early retirement uh, gives them opportunity to perhaps to learn some new skills. Or maybe even to uh, take that hobby that they had and didn't have much time for and maybe turn it into something more profitable than more than just a hobby. All of you who are empty nesters... Uh, whenever your children all went off to uni or perhaps they're all married and have left the nest, uh, and suddenly you find yourself with time in your hands that you didn't have before and again opportunities uh, to do some things that perhaps you wanted to do for years and just couldn't find the, the time uh, to be able to do those things. And so there are certain compensations in life. and Nowhere do we see this law of compensation, if we can call it that, better than in the Bible. Daniel, uh, the young aristocratic Daniel, uh, who was uh, a tremendous young man, and how that he was snatched away from his beloved homeland and carted off into captivity, into Babylon, and uh, how that he was uh, there as a, as a captive in that far-off place. And here he is, what a tragedy what a loss to the nation. Uh, what a terrible event, you might think. Except it wasn't. It wasn't because there was great compensation. And he ended up being a prophet to several kings, and his prophecies are being fulfilled even today as we speak in the Middle East. And not only that, even far into the future beyond our lifetime, they will be fulfilled. And so there was a tremendous compensation for this young man. Think of Joseph, betrayed by his jealous brothers, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, and then imprisoned. And then after all of that, God takes him from a pit and from a prison and places him in a palace into Pharaoh's palace where he becomes prime minister of all of Egypt. That's five-star accommodation, or compensation, isn't it? Five-star accommodation too, by the way. But it's a tremendous compensation, isn't it? The Apostle John, he's an old man now. He's the only survivor of all of the original apostles. He's been overseeing the church at Ephesus for Many years. His obligation uh, to look after the mother of Jesus, to look after Mary, has long since been fulfilled. But then suddenly he is taken, arrested, and exiled to the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which was a penal colony. And all he has now is, (laughs) is rats and rogues around him. And he's missing his friends. And he's missing church life. And he's missing all of those responsibilities that he had on the mainland. And here he is, stuck in this hellhole of a place. And yet, God had a marvelous compensation for him because he was to write the revelation of Jesus Christ, all 22 chapters, one of the greatest books in the entire Bible, the consummation of all things. And what a privilege he had. To see that and to hear that and to write it into a scroll. Jesus spoke of compensations. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Jesus speaking said, Now a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. Now that seems a, kind of a strange reply. Yeah, it's something that you just need to think through a little bit. You know, oftentimes people come and they say all kinds of things about Jesus, not really fully understanding what they're saying. That he's a good man, or he was a prophet, or he was a great example. And so this man comes, and he's polite, he's courteous, and he thought that would be a good way to address this rabbi, good master. But Jesus here is, uh, first of all, in his immediate reply to him, he was kind of just stopping him in his tracks. And if you could read Jesus' thoughts here, if he was saying them out loud, he'd be thinking, do you really realize what you have called me? There is none good, only God. There's none that's totally, completely, wholly good, only God. Even the best of men are men at best. But in a sense, even though he didn't know it and didn't recognize it, but in a sense, he was actually inferring that Jesus was God. And this is what Jesus is hinting at in his reply to him. Because... Jesus claimed to be God. More than once he claimed to be God. He made it very, very clear that he was God. Now, if he claimed to be God and he wasn't God, then he wouldn't be good. In fact, he'd be a very bad man, wouldn't he? If he claimed to be the saviour, which he did on several occasions, and he wasn't the saviour, then he wouldn't be a good man. He'd be a very, very bad man indeed. he'd He'd be a fraud. He'd be a deceiver. So we need to think sometimes how we address the Son of God. He's not just a, what we think is a good man or a prophet. He is the Son of God and he is the Savior of the world. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said unto him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, Matthew and Mark also records this conversation. And they make make it clear that Jesus, again, in mentioning the commandments, mentions the last six. You know the commandments are divided into into two as it were not equal parts but into two the first four are Godward the last six are manward the first four are vertical the last six are horizontal and uh, so that does away with any idea uh, that we can just uh, serve God and we can treat our fellow man whatever way we like we can't there's commandments for both how we address God how we serve God and how we uh, communicate with God and also with men as well And uh, when he said, all these I have kept from my youth up, that's a powerful statement. (laughs) To be able to say that all of these commandments relating to my fellow man, I have kept them. I haven't broken them. That's a big statement, isn't it? Did he really think that in all his... Even though his young years, he was a young man. Did he really think that he had grown up all of that time and he had never broken one of these commandments? I don't think so. He might have been a pretty moral young man, but it's somewhere along the line, we're going to break some of God's commandments. There's nobody that has kept all of the commandments. They are such a high standard. It doesn't mean to say we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean we should try to live out those but actually, they are a very, very high standard. So he says, all these things I have kept from my youth. And he was very bold about that. He was very confident about that. Notice here it says he was a, a ruler. He was also very wealthy. Uh, one of the other writers said he had great possessions. Uh, so we don't know what he made his money at. Uh, but obviously, he, he had a good business head on him. And even though he was young, he was probably well respected within his community. He had made a good business over his young years. He was very successful, very rich. Uh, But he comes to Jesus and he's coming very politely, courteously. But as the conversation goes on, you'll see that this man had one fatal flaw at least. And Jesus begins to put his finger on it. Because the Lord knows every weakness that we've got. No matter how good we are, the Lord knows our weaknesses. And so, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. I think it's Matthew records where he said to Jesus, well, what do I still lack? And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. You've got a lot. As far as this world is concerned, you've got a lot going for you. You're successful. You know, you're bright. You've got youth on your side. You've got all of this. You're well. standing within your community. You've got lots going for you, but you lack one thing. And this was his Achilles heel. And so Jesus puts his finger in this. You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come... Follow me. Hmm. Notice what he said. Sell all that you have, but then distribute it to the poor. You know, he could have sold all that he had and kept it as an investment for a rainy day. If I follow Jesus and things doesn't quite work out, right, well, you know, I've sold all of that, but I've kept it. I've banked it. But Jesus wasn't leaving them any safety net here. He's really putting them to the point. He says, Sell all that you have, give it away to the poor, and then come and follow me. Actually, this is one of the few times where it is recorded that Jesus said to a man, Follow me. Now, he implied it everywhere he went. And certainly we see with a couple of disciples he said that and probably said it to them all at some point. But where it's recorded, it's one of the very few times where it's actually recorded that Jesus said pointedly to his face, sell all you have, get rid of it all, come, follow me. Does that mean that the Lord wants all of us to give everything away and follow him? No, it's not. But he knew this young man's weakness. He knew what was really going to hold him back. And so he said, You still lack one thing, sell all you have, distribute to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Hmm. Very sorrowful, for he was very rich. The thing that was holding him back was his possessions. And he didn't want to let go of one of them. He was a self-made man. And he loved being in that position. And to let go of anything was gonna make him sorrowful. So Jesus knew the moment he came to him, he knew his exact problem, he knew the difficulty he would have with this. And even though he said nice things, and even though he seemed very sincere, and even though he seemed he was looking for eternal life, for he was wanting something that was easy, no cost involved, no sacrifice to be made, and Jesus immediately put his finger on it. Mark says that Jesus loved this young man. Now he's not saying this because he dislikes him. He's not saying because he doesn't see any potential in him, because he loved him. He's saying it because he knows this is his weakness and he's going to challenge him on it. And now he's got a big choice to make. Come, follow me. And he thought about that for a few moments and he quickly weighed it up that he made the biggest mistake of his life. He turned away from Jesus, and he went back to his old life and to his business and to his making money, and he's never heard of again. He could have been such a source of blessing for the kingdom of God, but he missed this opportunity. Why? He couldn't see any compensation. I'm going to lose everything if I give my life to Jesus. Couldn't see the compensation. But Jesus actually told him listen, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But he wasn't interested in treasure in heaven. He's only interested in treasure in earth. He wasn't interested in eternity, really. He was interested in time now. And so, after all of the nice phrases and the nice way he came and all of that and seemed so sincere, Jesus immediately got to the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem, he was gripped with time and with his possessions. And he wasn't prepared to release it. Had he released it, what a blessing he could have been. And what a blessing he would have got in return. You say, well, he got a blessing in heaven, Jesus said it, yeah, but let's read on. Let's read on. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. One of the gospels, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. And this man was trusting in his riches. And he wasn't prepared to trust Christ, but he was trusting in his riches. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. And that was true. That was absolutely true. Remember, Peter was a fisherman, a professional fisherman fisherman. It was his business. It was his livelihood. He probably was a second, third generation fisherman. Successful. Had people working for him. And when Jesus said to him, follow me, he left all. And he followed Jesus. So he's telling the truth here. He was prepared to leave it all and to follow Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time (coughs) and in the age to come eternal life. Not only will we be compensated in heaven, but there's compensations in the here and now. And everybody who has put their trust in Christ. And perhaps has have to make some sacrifices in their life. Maybe with family or with friends or maybe even a career. Maybe even with business. Maybe even with education or whatever. If that was called for. It's not always called for. Sometimes your business is the very thing that God calls you to do. Sometimes your career is the very thing that God has called you to do. So it doesn't always follow. But if it is a situation where God comes and says, I want that, lay that at my feet, will you be prepared to lay that down? That's the challenge. And when we do, you will always find there are compensations. There are rewards. There are blessings that follow that you never even imagined could happen. And that's just God's way of saying, see, look, I reward those who diligently seek me. Plus, you have all eternity to receive tremendous rewards for the things of God that you do. In John chapter 12, Jesus talks, verse 25 and 26, about loving things and hating things. I'll read from verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. That was the problem you see with the rich young ruler. He loved his life in his life so much that he wasn't prepared to make a sacrifice for Christ. So he's going to lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now that doesn't mean to say that you absolutely hate everything about your life right now. You couldn't live, like got you, couldn't. It's talking about preference. Because Jesus one time taught about hating your father and mother. <clears throat> he obviously wasn't saying you got to hate them, but he says you've got to prefer me even above your father and mother and your brothers and sisters. Who is my brother and who are my brothers and sisters? Who is my mother and father? Are not these, Jesus said, those who were following him? He is quite prepared to put the father and the kingdom above even his own family. Are we prepared to do that? It may not cost you that. If you become a believer, you may find your family would be in total agreement and they may admire you for that but there could be others there could be others and they'll despise you for it in fact if you may be a Muslim or a Jew or a Buddhist or a Hindu they may want to kill you for it, never mind hate you for it but there's wonderful compensations he goes on to say if anyone serves me let him follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. It is a tremendous honor to serve the Lord and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story about the rich man Lazarus. Verse 19, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and kill my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted And you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that you cannot, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those can nor can those from there pass to you. Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Lazarus believed in the Lord God. He didn't have much in this life. He was reduced to being a beggar. But boy, he had plenty in the next life, didn't he? The other man had everything in this life, but he had no time for God or the things of God. He had no time for people even. Not even the beggar that lay at his gate. But he lost everything, didn't he? Apostle Paul speaks of the great compensations of life, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks there about. He says whether it was in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. But he says an old man about 14 years ago. He's talking about himself, by the way, and he says whether in the body or out of the body, he says I, I don't know, but he says this I do know. He was caught up into the third heaven, and he saw things and he heard things that was unlawful for a man to utter. I couldn't even tell you about it. Now what in the world did he see? If John and all he saw in Revelation and could tell about it and could write it down, what did Paul see that he couldn't even say to another human being? But he said, because of the abundance of revelations that was given unto me, lest I should be exalted, lest I become puffed up and a big head. He says, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. I don't believe it was a sickness, or blindness, or bendy legs, or all kinds of things people said. Everywhere he went there was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He was persecuted, whipped, beaten, everything. Everywhere he went, every city he went to, somebody was out to get him. There was a spirit that was stirring people up against him every town he went to. The other had a riot, or he had a revolution, or both. Certainly had revivals. But then he said, I prayed three times for the Lord to take this away. So even the great apostle Paul, with all the trouble he was going through, he didn't like it one bit. He says, I prayed for the Lord to take this away three times. The Lord says, no, my grace will be sufficient for you. And Paul found that sufficiency of God's grace a wonderful compensation. In spite of all that he had to go through for the sake of the gospel, he says, I have a wonderful compensation. I have got the grace of God that gives me the strength to do this and to overcome all these things. I have the grace of God which is more than enough for me. Do you realize that every single beatitude has got a compensation at the end of it? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets who were before you. Every beatitude has got a compensation. Hmm. Let me just end with this and Ken's coming to do the Holy Communion. Whenever Naomi and her dear husband left for the land of Moab because of famine in Bethlehem, they had their two sons with them. And whenever they got to Moab and they settled there, the two sons married two women of Moab, Ruth and Orpah. Then after several years, the two sons died. Her husband died. So now all she's got left is these two Moabite daughters-in-law. Word comes back that there's plenty of food now back in Bethlehem, so she returns to her homeland, but before she does, she gathers her two daughters-in-law, and she says, Listen, don't come back with me. Stay with your family here. If you come back with me, I can't do anything for you. I'm a poor widow. And even if I was to get married, and even if I was to have children, well, you couldn't wait for me. Couldn't wait for them to grow up marrying marry me. It's just ridiculous. Just stay where you are. I'm going back. You stay here. And the two daughters-in-law wept. And they both said, no, we're going to come with you. But she insisted. She says, No. It's difficult enough for me to go back with nothing. For you to go back as Moabite ladies, there's just no chance for you. There's no hope. So stay. You remember what happened to how Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left and back to her family and to her gods? But Ruth said, most beautiful words sometimes you could read in the Old Testament. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, nor turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. When you die, I will die. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And if you read on in that first chapter of this, you'll find that when Naomi came back, she came back a bitter, twisted woman who blamed God on everything. When the woman came back, they says, Naomi, she says, Don't you even call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She says, Call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, I'm a bitter woman. She says, The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and he's brought me back empty. And she was angry and bitter and twisted. But Ruth, Ruth knowing that, still came back with her and clung to her. And you know how the story goes, don't you? And then lo and behold, there is Boaz. Boaz, a very wealthy farmer who just happened to be a relative of Naomi. And how that... Naomi sent Ruth out to his barley phase, which was permitted under the law. If you were poor and you had nothing to eat, whenever the reapers went through the barley phase, the poor people would follow them. Whatever fell after the reapers, the reapers were not allowed to lift it. That was for the poor people of the land and the stranger that would be coming through. And when Boaz seen Ruth, he was smitten. He had never seen a woman as good-looking in his life. She must have been a looter. And he fell in love immediately. And the happy ending was they got married. They had a wee son. And it tells us here what happened. Boaz begot Obed. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. Whenever little Ruth came back with Naomi... As far as she knew, she was coming back to nothing. She would be a stranger and a foreigner in the land and she would be poverty-stricken with a bitter, twisted mother-in-law who was blaming God and everything. That's not a very good start, is it? That doesn't give you much hope. But she was faithful. And she says, I'm going to do this. And God honored her. And God gave her great compensation. And she became in the very lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. That was Rahab the harlot, by the way. Remember the one who hid the two spies? And it looks as if she married one of those two spies and had Boaz as their son who became very wealthy. <laughs> that was a big compensation for her too. She's mentioned the lineage of Jesus as well. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth and Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot David the king. And it says in the very first verse of Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Nine times Matthew is called the son of David. We like to say he's David's greater son as you follow the lineage all the way down. What a compensation. (laughs) By being obedient and following the one true and living God. Listen, beloved, this morning. If God challenges you to give something up, if he challenges you to give it up, give it up. You're better off without it. He has something better for you. He has something greater for you. And he will compensate you in ways that you cannot imagine. But it tests you. It tests your faith. It tests your obedience. It tests your willingness. Will I follow Christ even if it's going to cost me this? Yes, do it. Because the rewards, the compensations will be far, far greater. Trust the Lord and you'll see what happens. Amen? Amen. Okay. And those of us who have followed the Lord for many years, has that as our testimony. You may have to give up some of your friends. Actually, they may, they may give you up if you follow the Lord. You may not have to give them up. They just may give you up. But that's all right. The Lord will give you better friends. Greater friends. Amen? God's good, isn't he? Aren't you glad you follow the Lord today? Absolutely. Clifford said earlier ago, when all those years ago, he put his trust in Christ. And what a difference that made. Not only to him, but his whole family his whole family. And that's what happens.